Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got my hunting partner, Dar Colburn, on the line, and we actually did a full-blown hour and a half long recap of the mountain goat, Alaska mountain goat hunt yesterday. And uh, needless to say, the audio portion of Dar's uh, part of the podcast uh, did not get recorded. Major snafu on my part. Uh, after throwing my computer through the uh, second floor window here at the condo in, in uh, Colorado and going down and picking up all the pieces, uh, I think we got it fixed and uh, we're going to try a little little uh, take two today and do a little recap with Dar. Dar, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Um, I'm going to go ahead and run uh, portions of the audio from yesterday, but I think there's some key ingredients uh, from the recap that uh, they can, uh, the listeners can get some value out of your, from your perspective. Um, first and foremost, congratulations on uh, your uh, goat and a successful hunt in Alaska, but it was hard earned, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I would say it's not my goat, it's our goat. We we uh, hunted together and we earned it, and uh, it was quite the experience. Yeah, it was quite the experience. Um, I, I actually went out and hiked t- today, and um, uh, although, you know, nothing like what we encountered there in Alaska with all the brush, my body was a little bit going, oh, okay, you want to do this again? I had given myself a couple days off. I'm curious how your body's responding. Yeah, I haven't uh, been out doing any hiking yet. I've just kind of been, you know, letting my body recoup a little bit. But uh, I would say that the, you know, I think we both trained a lot for this hunt, thinking, you know, we were going to be hiking a ton and steep country. And I, I don't think the, you know, the distance or the steepness was a factor more than the just the thick brush. Yeah, and I would you, would I you was, agree with that? Yeah, I was talking to someone yesterday and they were asking me about it. And I'm like, you know, you can train all you want, but, you know, at some point strength is, is a huge part of it because uh, with the alders and the devil's club and uh, the raspberry bushes and blueberry bushes and all of the thick underbrush, it, it, it wasn't a function of like how fast can you climb to the top of this mountain? It was more of how much can you endure every step you know, on uneven terrain and then having brush all around your legs and ankles and knees and, you know, having to like kind of plow through it. Fortunately, um, our guide, uh, Joe Faulkner, um, you know, a lot of times was cutting trail, um, you know, and, 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 and leading the pack, so to speak. But still, even if you were third in line uh, and you and I, you and I, took, you know, turn second and third walking, you still had lots of brush to fight through. Um, and it kind of added a whole different element um, that I don't know that you can necessarily train for in, unless you just start brush busting. Yeah, I mean, it was more endurance and stamina than than being able to walk, you know, 10 miles really for me. Yeah, I mean, that first stretch um, up out of the beach uh, we covered uh, 0.79 miles and it took us five hours. Um, and, and most of that, I would say, was dealing with the, um, the, 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 the trees that were blown down. Uh, and they just, you know, were like Lincoln logs, literally just, just blown down in every direction. And so you'd get over one log or under one log, you know, by taking your pack off or helping your buddy cross over. And then, you know, uh, 
you'd have a whole other angle of a log that you'd either have to go around or over or under and it you know it was it was fairly tedious um and you know i we, we covered a lot of this yesterday and, and the listeners can, can listen to my portion of the audio and probably pick up a lot of what we were saying. I kind of want to dive into um, the, the gear and I, I'd also like to talk about your food and start off with kind of the food in kind of would you take anything different uh, and you know, what did you take that you found was perfect and, you know, kind of talk about your food for the trip. Uh, and, and then they're going to be able to listen to my answer to this question. So let's, let's get your answer. Well, food wise, I, I took similar to you, a, a, a breakfast, mountain house breakfast pretty much every day uh, with the exception of two and then a, a mountain house dinner. Um, I did take the, the two portion um, breakfasts and dinners that were the, the little bit bigger size. Um, and I believe you had the pro packs, which were a portion or 1.5 portions, but they were quite a bit smaller. Um, I, I do like the, you know, a big dinner after a long day. It seemed to uh, fill me up, you know, and, and satisfy me at night and then, you know, be ready to go in the morning. Uh, my breakfast, I had the the mountain house skillet, which was probably my favorite. Yeah, mine too. Um, yeah, I did have some uh, biscuit and gravy a couple mornings, and then uh, I took some uh, blueberry muffin oatmeal that had blueberries and flaxseed in it that uh, was really good as well. Um, Talk about that was about that was, your spacing out of your food. Um, and I know you're going to get into more of your food, but how did you space that out as far as eating throughout the day? Well, for me, I, I don't like eating a big breakfast right when I get up. So I would have have my cup of coffee in the morning um, and maybe maybe a little snack of some sort or nothing, and then uh, but make my make my mountain house uh, boil the water and then roll it up and put it in my pack and you know eat it an hour or two down the down the trail. That just suits me better. Um, so I, I had that every day, and then I had a gallon Ziploc full of uh, lunch and, and day stuff uh, for each day. So I had, you know, peanut M&Ms, uh, a bagel thin with peanut butter and honey, uh, full-size Snickers, some uh, beef jerky. I had a, a pro bar or two throughout the, the trip, um, some little packages of trail mix, uh, some, like, pepperoni meat sticks, that sort of stuff, uh, some of the the wafer uh, waffle honey stinger waffles in there. Um, and for me, I, I just don't, you know, I can eat a, a, a pro bar or bar like that every once in a while, but, but to live on it every day just doesn't, doesn't suit me. I like the more real food, like the bagel and the, uh, the pepperoni sticks, peanut M&Ms, you know, trail mix, that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, one pro bar um, that I found on this trip that I, I wish I would have had it every day is, I think it's Banana Nut Pro Bar, which just was so tasty. I, I have, you know, previously eaten a lot of the different peanut butter ones, and I'm not a huge peanut butter fan, but I found this Banana Nut Pro Bar, and I believe I had two out of the five days, um, and then I had some other peanut, and if, if anybody out there likes Banana Nut uh, bread or that flavor, um, highly recommend that 
that pro bar uh, in the banana nut flavor. It was really good. Um, and next time I go out, I'm definitely going to probably have one of those pro bars every day. Um, so food wise, uh, and then we talked uh, yesterday a little bit about filtering water. We took a Sawyer mini filter and um, uh, that seemed to work uh, very well for us. One question that came in since then on our Instagram is, um, would, would you use that in an Arizona stock pond? And I'll get your answer, Dar, but um, my answer would be absolutely. Um, Seth Maskey and I have drank on those um, sheep hunts literally out of little, just little potholes that are green and nasty. You look at it and you, you know, you want to throw up, but um, once you filter it, the water, the water's great. Um, and do you have any experience with that, Dar? Yeah, I've had some pretty bad water, bad looking water down in, in Mexico with that. Um, obviously, I think if you have a choice, you know, you'd want to take moving water if you could, but if that's your only choice, I mean, that's, that's what, what you got. So yeah, I, I would have no problem drinking out of it if, if that's what it came down to. Sure. Um, w- one thing we both took, uh, each had a, a platypus, just a two liter, I believe two or three liter collapsible jug that we were filling up and leaving at camp. Um, you know, we'd fill that every day and that way we'd have water for, for our breakfast and dinners. But um, also we found with that Sawyer Mini, I believe it comes with about a a pint um, bag that you, you put in, put the water in, and then you screw the filter on that. I think, you know, we found that, that if you could get a two liter platypus type bag that, that was a dirty water bag, it, it would make it a lot easier because it seemed like we spent a lot of time filling up that little bottle um, and filtering it instead of, you know, using a two liter bag where you could get quite a bit of dirty water in there and then filter it all at once. For sure. And I think you um, used some of those wilderness athlete packets. Um, and, and one thing I would say for the guys that are filtering their water, um, even in, you know, some of those stock ponds, when you filter the water and it goes, say, from the dirty bag to the clean water bag or into your bottle, it's sometimes not going to be crystal clear. Um, and one thing I would say is, you know, take those packets like Dar had and, um, you know, whether it's crystal light or, or, you know, whatever you're drinking, wilderness athlete, hydrate and recover, uh, whatever you can flavor that, um, because sometimes the flavor of the water isn't, isn't ideal, but you're in essence, you're trying to just get fluids into your body. So you can kind of mask that with, with some of those different packets. Yeah. And I, I definitely pretty much put some of that hydrate and recover in, in every bottle of water that I, that I drank throughout the trip. I just figured I needed the electrolytes. We were sweating, you know, working hard. I, so I did keep it, keep it, um, full with, with the wilderness athlete stuff. For sure. Um, let's jump over to gear and talk about some of the highlights from your perspective of, of gear that, that really worked for you. Um, and then maybe if there was anything that you would change um, for for the next time. Sure. Uh, the the tent, the Mountain Star two person tent, was the highlight. I would say it, it performed flawlessly. Um, only weighs I think three pounds, and we each had one, so it was nice to have have our own tents. We stayed dry even uh, at a point where there was pools of water underneath the tent. The the bathtub of the tent still 
still uh, stayed dry, so that was uh, was great. Um, the the Kuyu Rebel K boots were fantastic. Um, they were nice and lightweight and a lot of stability in those. Pretty stiff boot, but you needed it in that country, so they they were great. Talk about um, your, I would say those. talk about your break in with those Rebel Ks and how you on one of your feet. I forget which side it is. You have a little lump on your heel, and it tends to cause problems. Talk a little bit about breaking those in and and breaking in any boot, and and you know how that went, and then you ended up going you know with the Rebel Ks and how that worked out. Sure. Well, I had I started with them, you know, new obviously, but I had probably forty or fifty miles on them, and I'd broken my little pinky toe a year or two ago and it's it's a little bit bigger so i was getting a blister kind of on top of that because the the rebel case i would say run a little bit tight in the toe box and so i i was getting a blister there and then i was running my my laces pretty loose because the toe box was so tight so my heel was slipping and i was ended up kept getting a blister on my my left uh rear heel and so i was i was really on the fence as to whether or not I was going to take them. Um, I had also put the, I believe, the Superfeet Guide uh, insole in them. And I kind of figured out by trial and error that I, I t- ended up taking that out because it was it was making the toe box even tighter. Went back with the original uh, Scarpa insole and then ended up uh, just leucotaping my toe and my heel along with... Um, doing the Kuyu uh, lace-up where it really locks your heel in. And that's, and, that's uh, a and, video that they can go on the Kuyu um, YouTube channel and find that Todd Harney does where you showed that to me and showed it to Brian Rimza, and, man, that, that really locked your heel down. Talk a little bit about that. Continue talking about that. Yeah, so what it, what it allowed me to do for my foot was being the toe box was tight, I was able to loosen up the bottom laces pretty much as loose as I could get them. And then the the last couple eyelets up there, I was able to lock those down to where my heel stayed down and wasn't slipping up and down, but the, the rest of the boot was loose. And so it ended up being really comfortable and uh, just worked out great. The other thing I think we talked about yesterday, which I don't know, you know if you got or not, the your friend Eric Johnson that hunted with us, uh, turned us on to the Swiftwick Aspire 7 socks that are like a a tighter liner sock um, that we wore under the Kuyu socks, and they were they were uh, fantastic as well. And I, I think the big reason, you know, one of the big reasons that I I didn't get a blister the whole time was was the socks the and the the Luko tape. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one thing about those Rebel Ks that I really liked is how light they are and how sturdy and stable they are as far as the sole of, of, of the the shoe or the boot is, is really stiff. But I felt like as much side hilling that we were doing in the scree um, and, and even on some of the slick rock and, and the grass and what have you, uh, they gave you all of the stability in the world by having that super stiff sole. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, what else stood out f- for you as far as gear? Um, for me, the, the the rain gear 
the Chugach rain gear uh, worked worked fantastic. And you know we fought through a lot of brush and a lot of thorns and a lot of just crappy stuff. And um, that that rain gear is is pretty awesome. Yeah, mine. I mean, I, I washed mine when I got home, and it, it it looks brand new still. I'm 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 really surprised that I didn't uh, didn't tear it based on what we uh, what we went through. Yeah, because we it seemed like we had rain pretty much every day except one, and so after the first day that we had that was pretty nice, we pretty much lived in our rain gear. It seemed like most of the time, you know the 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 brush and the grass and everything was so wet. If it wasn't raining, you still wanted to at least wear your pants because it, it, you know, it kept, kept you dry. Yeah. Talk about how you started out the um, hunt. Uh, You know, you carried your bow. I actually took your 6.5 Creedmoor. So we kind of had a tandem rig going there with the uh, bow and, and rifle and, and how the hunt transitioned for you from an archery hunt to you deciding uh, when we found a goat or when we found a billy to um, go after them with your rifle? Sure. Um, so, yeah, the, the, we spent the, the first day hiking and glassing, looking for, for goats. And we, we definitely saw goats, but um, nothing very close. You know, nothing even, I would say probably nothing even within a mile, you know, that whole first day. And then uh, the second day, pretty much same thing. We saw some goats several miles off, kind of made a play over there and, uh, ended up, couldn't, couldn't see him. Jay ended up going back to our original location to where he had a, a, a better bird's eye view of the mountain range and, uh, signaled us that there were some goats, you know, down the, down the mountain away. So we continued to move over there. And I think we finally at about, I think it was about five or six five o'clock that evening ended up spotting them and getting over on them. And, you know, I think we were about 600 yards from them. Finally got to, you know, kind of evaluate them. And there was uh, a few nannies and kids. And then there was another little group that had a couple younger billies. I would say, you know, immature billies um, with them. And at that point, you know, I decided I, you know, I would, potentially try uh, to make a stock with my bow, but um, wh- where they were and, and where the wind was going in the country, it, it really didn't allow me to circle around out of sight and get, get up wind of them. Um, so I had to kind of try and move across an open slope and they, they saw me at about 300 yards and took off. So at that point, you know, we were at the, basically the, the end of day two. Um, it, it, it was about to start pouring rain for for the next day day and a half and that was the first goats we had you know been within even rifle range of at that point i kind of decided you know we've got we're only going to have a day or two left and you know it's not like there's been opportunities all over the place um so i kind of decided at that point i'd just leave the bow at camp yeah, and I think that was a good decision. And I think anytime you're, you know, it was a five-day deal, and you know, I think I think you could have easily, not easily, but I think you could have got it done with the bow. But I think you would require quite a bit of time. Um, and you know, we only saw four billies uh, total um, that we could actually hunt or get to. We saw some across, you know, across the big, you know, mile across the bay and stuff. 
um, and some of those different inlets, but not even country, you know, we'd have to, you know, either get get in a boat and cross a mile over. But basically for what you had, I mean, going with the rifle, once, once we found, once you found that Billy, um, the fourth morning, I, I mean, it was pretty clear that, that, uh, you know, you needed to, if you were going to get one, you needed to switch to a rifle. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, the morning that you found that Billy and, you know, the decision to go after it and kind of how your stock and, and how that played out, um, that day. Sure. Well, that, I believe it was the, the evening before we got back to camp and it had kind of been raining off and on and uh there was a little ridge behind camp that you could hike up to that was probably 200 yards out of our camp and you kind of hiked up on this uh this ridge line and could peek off the other side into a kind of a bat, uh, a jagged peak in the scree field kind of basin below below the ridge line and uh we'd gone over there and seen seen a little group of goats uh some nannies and kids and and a uh, uh, immature Billy um, the afternoon evening before and then uh, so when we we woke up that morning I just decided before I did anything I'd just kind of run up there and peek off and see if anything was, was over there and um, right away kind of spotted I think there was three or four goats that I could see um, out there probably 700 yards and one of them definitely had a distinctly bigger body um, than the others. So I, I came back and told you and Joe, I thought there was probably a, a Billy there just based on his, on the body size. And, uh, we ended up running up there and getting the spotting scope and looking at him. And Joe said, yeah, that's a, that's a mature Billy. We probably need to try and try and harvest that one. So I, I at that point, I think, uh, we got our packs and made some breakfast and took it up there and kind of watched, watched him for a while. And, uh, then it started raining and so they they were kind of bedded up on a a cliffy bench up there probably i think it was eight nine nine hundred thousand yards from us and uh about midday joe and i decided that we'd leave you to watch them while they were bedded and we moved up kind of one bench to where we were more level across from them but still you know probably 500 550 yards from them so we got up there, got set up, and uh, Joe and I talked that, you know, we couldn't shoot him where he was because of the uh, the cliff and the bench he was on. We needed him to actually, you know, come towards us and off that bench in order to shoot him. And uh, it fogged up and started raining, and, and we actually couldn't see the goats for probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And uh, when it broke a little bit, they had uh, gotten up and started feeding directly away from us and uh came out below below that bench but farther away and i think it was 625 yards and it was the wind was bad and it was raining hard and i didn't even want to pop my scope caps because i just knew that you know the scope was going to get covered in rain and i looked at joe and i said you know i just don't want to shoot that far in these conditions it's it's just it's not worth it to me and uh so we kind of just waited and and they ended up feeding down and, and turning back and came right towards us and uh, uh, got to probably 300, 275 yards and it, it was raining and the, you know, the clouds would come in and you couldn't see them for 10 minutes and then in the clouds would kind of break a little bit and you could see them and 
in one of those breaks, uh, Joe had told me that the Billy was out front of the group and uh, he was at, I think, 275 yards and I ended up uh, shooting him. So He made two great shots once we were able to get down to the Billy. Um, those shots were like within a half inch of each other. And um, I, I, I was only, what, 800 yards away and never even heard both shots. Um, that tells you what the wind and what the rain and the fog, you know, it just was, it was one of those, was one of those times, but it was one of those uh, deals where you just like had a window and had to rely on Joe, um, whom I wish I could have, you know, have on this podcast with us talking about it, but he, he headed on to go to a Chugach uh, sheep hunt, but, um, you know, you kind of had to rely and look in your sight window and that's the goat you saw and you made two good shots, but after your first shot, he kind of just stood there. Um, and so you decided to shoot him again, uh, just making sure that you, you know, had a good shot on him, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and honestly, when I did shoot, like I said, the the Billy had gotten out front probably 20 yards of, of the other three or four. And so that, that definitely made it easier. And Joe said, yes, he's the front one. And, uh, and the, the fog broke enough to just enough to where I could see him through the, through the clouds. And I shot. And I, I couldn't even tell you where I hit him because of because of the, the fog and clouds. Um, and Joe didn't know either, just that I had hit him pretty hard. And so I shot him again and um, finished him off right there. He didn't even take you know a step or two, so that was that was all, all good. Yeah, and then and then um, I'll kind of fast forward the story. We attempted to figure out how to get down to the goat kind of before you shot, you guys thought you kind of had a, a shoot that you could go down and we ended up trying for a couple hours and kept getting cliffed out and couldn't make it down. So we actually packed, packed up there, went back to camp, packed everything up, dropped all the way back down and around down the mountain and then had to set camp again right before dark. And then the next morning, it took us five hours to get up there to the goat fighting through the brush. But um, we were able to get them and then, you know, get them back to camp. And um, it was a, it was definitely an amazing adventure. I'm I'm glad, you know, guys are so, well, are you disappointed you didn't get one? Well, I mean, you're all, you always want to get what you're after. But it's also, it was an amazing adventure to get to watch you shoot a goat and to just be up there in that country from my perspective. Uh, and it, you know, it was just, it was just awesome. And quite honestly, I don't know. I mean, if we'd have shot two goats, I mean, we had our work cut out for us packing everything out through those down timber and, you know, fallen logs and all that brush. Um, two goats would have been, I mean, it would have been nasty. We definitely would have had our hands full, but we would have made it work. Yeah. Well, um, Dar, I think uh, I think we've salvaged a bunch of this episode where the listeners can actually hear your portion of the audio, and I encourage uh, them to listen to the remaining portion after this. Um, it's pretty good dialogue back and forth. Obviously, they won't be able to hear your portion, but they'll get the gist probably by the give and take back and forth with um, my answers and, and such. So um, anything else you want to add? Um, before I let you go, uh, I know you're preparing for an elk hunt there in Arizona, and I'm excited to see how you do there. I know you're going to do great. I'm going to be cheering for you from Wyoming. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see you get another big bull. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to, uh, 
hearing the first bugle of the season and having a good time. That's uh, that's all that matters. Right on, buddy. Well, um, look forward to the next adventure with you, and uh, thank you for coming on again today and uh, kind of redoing your portion of the audio. And I uh, just want to thank the listeners for their patience with this episode. Uh, having a little bit of the snafu, but I, I feel like uh, the remaining portion of the audio, you'll be able to get some good value out of. And uh, just thanks for your loyal support. And uh, Dar, uh, until next time, uh, God bless, and we'll be chatting at you, okay? All right. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Take care. Thanks. You too. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got Dar Colburn, my hunting partner on the other end of the line, and we just uh, survived a mountain goat hunt in Alaska. Dar, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, so am I. Um, we've both now had uh, two days, I guess, since we returned home. Last place I saw you was the airport in Seattle. Uh, we flew Alaska Airlines from uh, Anchorage to Seattle, and then you, you headed on to Phoenix, and I headed to Denver. And um, we, we were on quite an adventure for sure. Uh, I want to talk today about our hunt and how everything went down, talk about our gear and, and um, things we liked and maybe things that we would do differently, food and what have you. Um, but first question is, how sore are you? <laughs> you know, it's... It, it's crazy that you speak of the devil's club like, um, you know, in Arizona in our cooster country, we're used to that, you know, cat claw and manzanita and, you know, some thick brush and what have you. And it, I don't even know how to explain it other than if, you, you know, guys that are listening that are cooster hunters, if you just imagine walking through cat claw brush um, that's over your head, you know, just nonstop and then throw in. Uh, downed timber, uh, you know, I'm not sure if those were fir trees or what those words are, but um, spruce, big, big down timber, and literally taking backpacks off, you know, putting backpacks on, you know, going under logs, over logs. Uh, when, when we first went up that from that beach, we went 0.79 miles, and it had taken us five hours. And, you know, I, I got to thinking about that, Dar, yesterday. Like, I think I could crawl 0.79 miles in. I think I could crawl on my hands and knees in, in probably an hour. And and how it took us that long. Um, it's been kind of fun on Instagram. I've been posting a bunch of um, photos from our photos and videos from our hunt and from the adventure and um you know, as far as the thick vegetation and, and, you know, the devil's club and the alders and what have you, the video, would you agree the video? I mean, it, it doesn't even come close to, like, depicting how it actually was. So, look back up a little bit. Um, back in the, I guess it would be the winter and spring I had done a podcast with a friend, Frank Sanders, uh, who's an outfitter, Alaska Trophy Outfitters, um, uh, there out of uh, Saldotna, uh, which is um, very close to Kenai there. 
uh, and he said, hey, Jay, uh, you and Dar ever interested in going mountain goat hunting? I said, you know, I never really thought about it, but, you know, tell me about it. And, and um, you know, he's got one place that he goes that's a fly-in alpine lake, and you kind of fly in above Timberline, kind of above all that uh, uh, Devil's Club and all that thick brush. And to make a long story short, um, he had had a bunch of guys that had been applying with him for years, and uh, you and I drew, and they drew, and, you know, out of common courtesy, you know, he said, Jay, you know, those guys have been putting in with me for years, I kind of got to take them to that spot, and, and uh, you know, got another spot we can take you to that's really good, my guys, you know, shot a couple Boone and Crockett billies. Um, on the first or second day, I'm thinking, wow, this this sounds too good to be true. And I even remember telling you, and you're like, don't count on it. Like, you know, we're going we're going on an adventure. And but in my mind, I still had, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be, uh, you know, a slam dunk deal. Well, turns out when we landed, um, there was some, uh, I guess, an issue with the with the airplanes and where we could land and what have you and ended up we ended up going to another spot and um, that's the spot we ended up going to and, and uh, you know it I don't want people to sit here and go oh these guys are just complaining the whole podcast but it, it was definitely a tough tough hunt would you not agree yeah I mean I, I was honestly I was dreading going back down through the timber you know going back to the beach just in the fact that you know, the day we landed, it was <clears throat> it was <clears throat> fairly sunny. It was cloudy, you know, a few clouds here and there, but, you know, the sun was kind of out, and it had not rained. And so when we were, uh, you know, coming up, a lot of those logs and stuff, the ones that we were able to get up on, you know, and, and walk, and the reason we were walking is because the underbrush was, you know, five, six feet tall, and these logs actually allowed us to, you know, walk for you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 feet and actually gain some ground rather than just fight and brush. And, you know, the, the bark and such was, you know, dry. But, you know, as much as it had rained in the five days that we were up on the mountain, I was really nervous about how wet and how slick everything was. And um, turned out, you know, it was every bit what we thought coming down, um, you know, just slipping and sliding and falling in the devil's club and and what have you, and um, but it, it made for an adventure. Maybe we ought to start at the beginning and, and talk about uh, when we first fought through the brush and we climbed out of the tree line. Um, you know, I was just immediately uh, in love with the you know above timberline country and the beauty of it. I'm interested in your take on it. The flowers, the flowers were there was all sorts of colors of flowers and. You know, I thought it was cool to contrast our, you know, coming from Arizona, you know, being desert rats like we are, um, you know, the contrast of how green it was, and then, you know, uh, compare that with, you know, the, the inlets there, and then the Pacific Ocean, um, where we were was kind of this, you know, strip of land where we had a kind of a, uh, a big inlet maybe, you know, a couple miles long on one side, but then we had the Pacific Ocean uh, basically on the other, and, um, you know, it's just a rainforest, just a coastal wonderland. Um, you could look out there and, you know, see whales, you could look out there and see, you know, small fishing boats, um, 
and it was just it was really unlike anything that I had ever seen in person um, and it was you know in some of those high country basins it just reminded me of you know high country mule deer hunting you know lots of rock lots of scree um, and you know big grassy shoots and stuff you almost thought you were in you know the high country of Colorado with the exception of you know all of the water that you could see around kind of like Lord of the Rings type looking stuff New Zealand yeah yeah and I, I think as well as the scenery the you know um, we were we flew in on a um, de Havilland otter from the 1950s and 60s I don't know the exact year of the plane but I did a little research and there were only 466 of those um, planes made and they were kind of the US military I think was one of the largest um, I, I guess uh, they, they made the biggest orders for those otters and you know felt really stable in the air uh, it, it was amazing to land on the water felt smooth I was real curious to see how that was going to feel um, but that you know getting picked up in an otter taken dropped off and then you know picked up again and taken back to civilization that was that was truly a high, high point for me and then um, you know the mountain goats themselves uh, having very little experience you know seeing those things uh, even though most of what we saw were nannies and kids just really neat the kids are really really cute um, really cute animals and um, really neat to see how they they really they really stay in groups and kind of stay in those family units and um, you know they they just think they're in the roughest, steepest, most nastiest part. I mean, you could almost predict where they were going to be. Uh, and, and it was cool also looking miles, you know, across, you know, the ocean, across, you know, inlets and different waterways where, you know, obviously we could never get to unless we, you know, took another plane. But, yep, you'd look across and there'd be some goats up there and some goats over there. It was just a smattering of goats kind of all over. I had a question come on an in Instagram saying, are you guys um, sorry you didn't take tripods? And um, our guy, I would, I answered the question on Instagram, no, um, the goats, they stuck up. A lot of times you could see them, you know, like out to a mile with your naked eye. Um, there was never a real situation where they were very hard to see. Uh, in my mind and hand-holding our 10 by 42 um, EL Swarovskis was, was perfect and we knew going into it that Joe um, Faulkner our guide uh, had his uh, little lightweight tripod and brought his Swarovski 85 millimeter uh, ATX spotting scope so um, do you feel like not having a tripod was a hindrance? Yeah, and it, you know, thinking forward to my uh, Northwest Territories hunt for doll sheep uh, next year in the McKenzie Mountains, you know, with, with white sheep, I'm, I'll be curious to see if, if it's the same type of thing, whereas, you know, as long as you have a tripod and a spotting scope to evaluate the ram, um, you know, is it really necessary? And, um, you know, I mean, you spotted several goats way off just with your naked eye and like, oh, there's some goats right over there. And I mean, if you panned it all, the contrast with the green and even in the scree rock, you know, the black, you know, real gray black rock, I mean, they, those goats even bedded, you know, really, really stuck out.
so when we the first day when we finally cleared the tree line and then you know we're we're up above timberline and we hiked and we got to a couple of those first little lakes and it was amazing to see all the different water and joe our guide uh he never filtered his water and you and i filtered our water at that first pond um before we made camp it was just kind of a surreal feeling being you know it was, it was quiet around although you could hear you know off in the distance you could hear some uh, of the fishing boats and kind of the rumble of their motors and what have you um that was really the only noise uh and then you know we probably could have just drank right out of those lakes but you know i i think by filtering you know you just protect against you know giardia or anything that we could have possibly gotten but you know joe and even frank uh, the outfitter, you know, said, oh, no, we just drink drink the water. And um, what did you think of that Sawyer mini filter? Yeah, I, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any repercussions of, of that yet. And I imagine everything's fine. I mean, it's just probably straight rainwater, um, you know, real, real fast moving water. But uh, it tasted good, didn't it? So where we had our camp obviously was above Timberline. And um, we set, set camp that first night. And you know, it, it didn't actually get uh, dark till probably 11:15 um, at night. And when we we got to where we thought we were going to camp, um, I believe you and Joe spotted a couple goats. I'm not sure which one of you spotted them. A couple goats, uh, not too far from camp. I think they were 1,300 yards or something, uh, 12 or 1,300 yards on the rangefinder. And Joe thought they were both billies. Um, how excited were you when, you know, right away we thought we had a couple targets? Yeah, and so we set our camp. Um, we were actually by a couple little small lakes that I would say are probably, um, you know, maybe 50 yards long by 20 yards wide and look like where, you know, just, just uh, rainwater had gathered. Um, and it, it made made it nice to have water right there and pretty much everywhere we went we had water and that's a little bit different than say some of the stuff we've done backpacking in Arizona where one of the biggest problems or, or hindrances of backpacking in Arizona is you've just got to carry so much weight in water because of the you know lack of water around um, that added a whole new element that we're not used to. Yeah, it was nice to freely drink and not have to, you know, a lot of times when we're going on these booster backpacks and stuff, I'm not saying you don't drink, but you almost kind of ration yourself and just drink just enough to keep you going, which, you know, sometimes will come back to bite you. Um, our temperatures, it's a good point you bring up, I don't know exactly what the temperatures were, but I'm going to say, you know, maybe a high of 60 and probably a low of, you know, maybe the mid to high 40s. A couple mornings, it was pretty crisp. I'm, I'm betting it was probably 45. Um, but that that night we set our tents, we made our mountain houses and, um, you know, got up the next morning and... Uh, we got up the next morning and those goats that we had seen uh, the night before had moved all the way across uh, the mountain range to the, I guess that would be to the west. 
and they covered a ton of ground and joined up kind of with some nannies and kids, but they turned out to be kind of immature billies. Um, uh, definitely not not what we were looking for. I think you had, right before dark, you had seen, or maybe at first light, you woke up and um, popped up and, and you had caught them moving to go gather up with that other family group over there. And Dar, you had taken your bow and I actually was packing your 6.5 Creedmoor, so we had, you know, a rifle uh, bow combination, which I think was good with kind of the strategy and plan that, you know, you would try and stock them with your bow. Um, I, I think going in, my impression was I thought we were going to see a lot more, or I thought we were going to have a lot more opportunities for stockable billies. And as it turned out, uh, I think we only saw four, four billies that we could actually get, you know, like that were in accessible country to us. Um, we saw some other, what we thought, what, you know, Joe thought were billies we like across, you know, the water and, you know, miles, miles away. But um, when did you realize that, you know, stop, you know, having numerous stocks on billies? Because you weren't necessarily going after the biggest billy in the world, but you wanted to shoot a mature one. When did you kind of realize that the bow was going to be a challenge in the, you know, five days that we had to hunt? Like never even within a mile, I think. Yeah, I was going to say five or six at night, yeah. The fog was rolling in really hard. Yeah, and um, I thought I would say, so I backtracked and we had come up with a signal on a trekking pole. I would actually put one of those Kuyu game bags so you could see the white and I kind of wrapped it around the pole and we had come up with the signaling that I would signal the direction that the goats were um, and so I was pointing my arm or the, the, the um, trekking pole with the white on it straight out to the right and then from so if you picture me standing up with my arm straight out and the pole straight out that means okay the goats are to your right and then I was trying to signal you distance and the way we do that is basically take your arm go down to your side that's a hundred yards and I did that nine times trying to tell you they were 900 yards you know straight out uh, you know in that direction that I was pointing and I think that's a pretty good way to signal and for people out there um, if you've never thought of signaling, it's good to have a signal plan worked out with your uh, hunting partner or your buddies so that at least they have a general direction uh, to go off of. And, and if you can come up with a distance, you know, uh, monitor, and, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it, but you had the general sense that they were, you know, what I thought was 900 yards to your right, and that kind of gave you an idea of, okay, let's get, keep going. We can't see them from where we're at, but Jay's telling us they're to the right and they're 900 yards. Let's try and get some elevation to look with your eyes. I'm curious from your perspective, not knowing exactly what I was telling you, what was your plan as far as trying to determine where those goats were? There was a nanny in that group that was a, a lone, dry nanny, didn't have a kid, and Joe was thinking that she was, you know, 11 and a half inches 
just super long. Um, what was your impression of her, and did you get to see her very, very good? And I, I will add to that that in Alaska, if you shoot, you can shoot a nanny or a billy, but if you shoot a nanny, you have to, I believe it's five-year wait, um, meaning you can't uh, hunt uh, billies or I'm sorry, yeah, you can't hunt uh, mountain goats um, for five years. It's kind of a penalty, so to speak. But what was your impression of that man? Yeah, um, so that was the night. The second night is when the rain really kicked in and it really started raining and um, uh, basically fog rolled in really hard and I waited for you guys to come back and we made our way back to camp in the rain and where we were camped, yeah, and where we were camped, um, to give the listeners kind of an idea, we were kind of camped on this, let's call it a middle ridge, and from the middle ridge, we had kind of a, a ridge to the east and a ridge to the west that were kind of, um, seemed like where most of the goats were, and to get to our camp, we had to ascend and descend, depending on which way you were going, about 500 feet, 600 feet, maybe 700, pretty good cliffy drop. So every time we had to leave camp, we had to drop off that, go through a saddle, and then work our way across a land bridge kind of to the, to the you know, the, the mountains to the west, or rim around and go across another kind of a saddle to the mountains to the east and kind of southeast. Uh, but every time coming back to camp, we had to climb up, you know, that five to seven hundred feet. What I mean, it was a hump, um, and it, it made it a little bit of a challenge when it became wet because of how slick and how steep it was. And you've got, you know, the scree, the you know, the the, uh, the shale rock, and then you've got the grass, and it's kind of a pick your poison because at times the rocks were, you know you know, unstable and, and slick, but then you get on the grass and it was like walking on ice. Yeah, so I, I don't remember if that was the night that um, it rained so hard that night that, I don't know if it was that night or the, the night after, but I, I woke up to it raining and then it sounded different than rain. It was hitting that Kuyu Mountain Star tent so hard and I kind of yelled out, and Joe says, it's hailing, and it was hailing, and not long after that, and this went on for the rain, that hard rain went for probably a good hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and then the hail, and then the next thing I know, I can literally, inside my Kuyu tent, um, and I had the, the uh, footprint down below the tent, and then I had the tent, I could feel my air mattress like wobbling like and and it took me a second to figure out what was going on well water was coming running between the footprint and the tent so much that it was like semi lifting my air mattress off of the ground and you could hear and I go I got a river running underneath my tent and I remember it was raining so hard and I could hear you and you said, I think I'm drowning or something like that. 
But surprisingly, you know how those Kuyu Mountain Star tents, they have like that bathtub, I think is what they call it, where it's like, you know, maybe six inches on each side and then it's mesh, so it's kind of open. Well, I can remember looking out and the water was literally just below the, the bathtub and there were literally strips of water running underneath the tent, but it never is wet all around the tent as it was. It was completely dry inside. There was not a drop of water, and I thought that was, we were pretty fortunate to have good equipment, and you know, those tents are relatively new. We've used them a little bit, but um, you know, not, a, not any puncture, you know, puncture holes or anything in the floor of that tent and stayed completely dry. How was it down? You were actually a little bit kind of lower, you know, you were only probably 10 yards from me, but you were kind of in a little bit lower area and you had water all around you as well. Yeah, I just remember spending that one day complete the whole day and laying in my tent and rolling, you know, I, I had that, um, NeoAir, that Thermarest NeoAir, and I remember thinking, I'm going to get bed sores because, you know, you didn't want to get out of your tent. I mean, it sounds, people listen like, you weenies, but it was like, it was raining so hard that I'm like, I don't want to get out of my tent, you know, just to get out and stretch your legs. There were like two or three times where it would stop for just a second, and it seemed like we'd bail out of our tents just to stand up for a little bit, and then here it would come again, and we'd get back in the tent, but um, do you remember having that soreness in your back and kind of your hip just from laying for that long of a period? Yeah, one thing I really like, you know, it's, it's the Mountain Star two person, you know, and they, you know, they say it's made for two people. It's, for me, I'm kind of a tall, lanky dude. It's perfect for one person with all your gear. And we were talking, I'm sure in the circumstance, you know, we could, we could both fit in there and have, you know, a, a, a gear on each side, you know, my gear on one side, your gear on the other. Uh, but I would say it, it's perfect for one man because you feel like you have plenty of room in there. You can, you know, move around. You can have gear, you know, gear on both sides. Um, you know, I kind of kept my pack and the rifle on one side. I kind of kept my food and my, my boots and, and such on the other side. And I can't say enough about those tents. Um, the Kuyu Mountain Star was a was a highlight. The other thing that was for me that was a highlight was the boots. Um, the Rebel K's, the, the Kuyu, the Scarpa Kuyu Rebel K boots uh, were, I thought, probably the best boot I've ever worn as far as stability. Um, they're a very very stiff boot, uh, which normally I'm not a you know, coming from Arizona and such, we typically don't wear those super stiff boots, but I mean, I needed every bit of the stiffness that those boots um, provided, and you know, day in and day out, what I, or at night, I would take the liner out of the boot and, you know, put them inside my tent and, you know, let them dry the footbed. Yeah, what did I say, the liner? Yeah, the footbed. Um, and, but our boots were just saturated, you know, just constantly wet. Um, but it was nice to dry that uh, footbed. And um, they performed, I thought, fantastic. I mean, I couldn't have been 
more happy uh, about how they performed. So the night before, or, or the morning that we got up to, to leave, uh, to, to fly out on the float plane, um, I had done that podcast with Justin Schaefer, and he recommended doing three layers, or basically on the keel, three strips of Luco tape. And then he went as far as he taped Luco tape around his big toes, and then made one loop around over the top of his ankle. Uh, you and I both decided to tape, you know, pre-tape, uh, in essence, and, and uh, I, it worked perfect for me. I didn't get a single blister. There was one time on my left heel I thought I had a hot spot, um, but it turned out that the Luco tape had just kind of turned a little bit, and, and I was able to um, kind of correct that. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't get a single blister, uh, and I probably had a hundred miles on those Rebel Ks, uh, you know, hiking here in Colorado this summer without a blister. But you, on one of your feet, have kind of a protrusion on the back of your heel, right? And you were having some trouble with that rubbing. Um, and our friend Eric uh, Johnson, uh, out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, he had recommended. A, a sock liner slip lick, uh, the Aspire 7s, and um, uh, he said that he had, he, he also wears um, Kuyu socks and Kuyu boots, and he recommended those slip wicks, and we both Luco taped up, and we wore those slip wicks, and I have to say, I'm, I'm really impressed with those slip wicks below the Kuyu sock. Uh, what's your thoughts? Wait, a little bit? When we're talking your feet, it's there's no little bit involved in the thing. You're not going there, are you? You're not letting me go there. <laughs> Dark Holder has the worst smelling feet of any human I've ever been involved with. <laughs> so what did you do? You took two pairs of Swift Wicks and kind of um, swapped them in and, in and out? Yeah, that, that lacing system to keep your heel down um, on the Kuyu site, that Todd Harney, uh, who works there um, has a video of exactly how to do that uh, lacing system and you showed it to me and I started using it on that you know you showed it to me when we got there and I started using it immediately felt better and felt where my heel wasn't coming up at all but it wasn't so um, tight on my toes in other words before I was really you know Tension down on the laces that were over the, the instep or you know, the, you know the, the top part of my foot and basically just cutting the circulation off. Well, this you can actually leave your toe, you know, a couple of um, loops on your laces there pretty loose, but then cinch it down so it was perfectly tight, like over the ankle area, which kept your heel down. And I thought that was a, a huge. Um, boost there and you showed it to Remzo also who's right now on, in the Northwest Territories and before he left he told me he really liked that uh, lacing system and I'm sure it's been around for years but it was it was a tip that I didn't know and I'm happy that uh, you showed it to me and he said yeah it's right on the Kuyu website and uh, really really uh, was impressed with that. Um, do you see yourself on these cooster hunts and sheep hunts and some of the stuff we have? Do you see yourself probably going to wear the Swift Wick uh, liners and just stay with that system, or will you just go with the with the Kuyu socks? 
um, without the liner on some of these other hunts. Yeah, I think I'm going to get, you know, probably a week's worth of swift wicks um, just, just to have more of them for some of our cooster hunts in Mexico and stuff where I can kind of just rotate them. Um, and uh, I thought they were a perfect fit with the, with the Kuyu sock. One thing I'll say about the Rebel K boots is they're so light, um, which is, you know, I felt like I was, you know, a pound and a half lighter per boot than a lot, you know, at least a pound lighter than some of the other boots. And um, I thought that made a difference. Uh, the other thing I would say is I wear 11, a size 11 in every shoe that, that I wear. And I will tell you that the, the Rebel case, my toes just almost, just barely touch in the foot box. And they're, they're a touch tighter. So if I order another pair, I might go with the, you know, the, the 11 and a half. Um, they're perfect for me, but I might go with the next size up because it is a little bit crowded in the front. Anybody out there looking to get them, maybe get the, get a half size up. Um, so I want to take a quick second here uh, and uh, tell the listeners that GoHunt.com is actually doing a free trial uh, of the Insider program. And it's uh, a deal where you can go and try out the Insider. You can have full access to the Insider program uh, for free. And the way you do that is just go to GoHunt.com forward slash JScott and click on the button uh, that you want to do the free trial. It's, uh, it's totally free and um, it, it's a great opportunity to see the, the best Western hunting resource out there. And uh, they're doing this exclusively for uh, the J. Scott podcast listeners. So go to GoHunt.com. Uh, forward slash J Scott, and you can find all the all the Western states harvest statistics, draw odds, um, and you can look at all those trends uh, of of the harvest in each unit, and and find those hidden gem hunts and uh, some of those sleeper hunts and what have you. So, I highly recommend that. Also, want to uh, remind you guys that the Kuyu uh, Mobile Showroom uh, is going to be in. Uh, Dallas, Texas, August 24th through the 26th, then Houston, August 31st through September 2nd, Lubbock, September 7th through the 9th, Albuquerque, New Mexico, 14th through the 16th, Grand Junction, Colorado, Salt Lake City, Cedar City, Las Vegas, Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, San Diego, Los Angeles, and Reno, uh, and the mobile showroom tour, the, 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 the uh, Tootie World Tour is wrapping up November 9th through the 11th in Reno, Nevada, and this is an opportunity to go see every piece of, of gear, every piece of clothing that Kuyu makes in every size. You can touch it, feel it, try it on, uh, and and uh, it's just been a huge thing for Kuyu and the customers uh, across the country that have gone, uh, have had you know, given rave reviews about the ability to go see the entire product line. Uh, in gear. Um, and I want to thank Kuyu uh, Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. I want to thank uh, GoHunt.com Insider for their sponsorship as well as PhoneScope 
And you can use the JScott16 promo code when you go to Phonescope.com, get a 10% discount. And the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson there in, in uh, our hometown of, of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the, the Optics Authority. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at Outdoorsman's.com. You can also call them at 1-800-291-8065. Use the J. Scott promo code and, and get you a discount. Uh, Dar, another thing um, that was a real standout for me uh, was that new Peloton 240, that Kuyu Peloton 240, uh, the, the hoodie, or, or with the hood. Uh, with the wind and, and, you know, kind of the crappy weather and such, I really like having that uh, piece of gear. And my, kind of my everyday um, get-up was, uh, you know, I, I we both wore the guide pants, um, you know, which I think were great, especially for fighting through the brush and the devil's club. It gave us a little bit more durability. Uh, there and then a merino wool 145 um, Kuyu uh, ultramarino shirt, uh, but then I would always wear the uh, Peloton 240. And you also took the 240. What was your What was your take on the 240? Well, I would say the one difference you wore uh, you wore a short sleeve um, 145 or I'm not sure if it was a 125 or 145 uh, on on the ascent and descent. What made you go with a short sleeve uh, as opposed to a long sleeve, and do you, did you like that decision, or would you do it differently? So you were just rotating them, keeping them dry and rotating them. And I also point out that um, you and I decided that every morning, just as a practice of habit, um, we would take those Kuyu, the biggest Kuyu dry bag, and before we would leave our tent, just for kind of safety precaution, we would put our um, Kuyu 30 degree bags in the dry bag and roll them up so that, you know, if a hurricane wind came in and, you know, blew the tent over, at least we could always get in our bag, pull out the dry bag, and that, that, that sleeping bag would be dry. I, I thought that was important to, you know, pass on to people listening that take the extra second to, you know, protect whatever you've got in your tent. Uh, in case the worst scenario comes up, um, that at least if you get back and your you know your, camp, your camp's ravaged, at least you can have some dry stuff to to put on and, and a dry bag to get in. Yeah. Now I made the mistake um, on that deal uh, when we when you finally got your goat and we made that you know hike all the way in to get the goat. Um, I forgot to bring, didn't forget, I kind of decided that, you know, we'd be walking and be too hot, and I didn't bring my super down pant and jacket, which I always brought every other day, and then I got cold up there, it was really cold when we were working on that goat. Alright, um, I want to talk a little bit about the food, and maybe what you would do different, or what you thought you nailed as far as your food setup. Um, one thing I was thinking about is that uh, I usually get the scrambled eggs uh, with bacon uh, for my breakfast, and I added that breakfast skillet three mornings. And I really like that breakfast skillet. I'd recommend guys try that compared to the eggs get kind of old with the you know 
Dude, I was, I, I'd see you eating those peanut M&Ms, and I'd come over like a little puppy dog, like, can I have a few of those? And you'd, oh, it was that, that was another highlight that I think I would do differently also is a little baggie of peanut M&M. It's funny that little things like that, I mean, you would almost hold them out like, here they are. And, oh man, I, I mean, I'd have paid good money um, but for those for sure. You know, and I'm jumping ahead, but you packed freaking Snickers bars on up on the mountain and you descended from the top all the way down to the beach and you get to the beach and you I didn't have a drop of food left and you had a whole bag including at least three Snickers bars that I know of because I know I ate two of them when we got to the beach I remember after I ate the first one I go there's another one in there are you gonna eat it and you're like no go for it I go no really are you gonna eat it and you go nope and it was like the I was jumping up and down. I ate two, like, I don't eat sugar. Well, let me back up. If, if it were left to me, I'd eat sugar every day, ice cream. I'd be, I'd weigh 600 pounds. My, my wife's a bit of a health nut, so I don't eat much sugar. But when I get a chance to eat sugar, man, I'm like a fat kid on a cupcake. I mean, it's just like, you know how it is with me. I rummage through stuff. But my point is, if I'd have been hiking down that mountain knowing that you had Snickers bars in your pack, I'd have already ate both of them before we even got to the bottom. Gotcha. Do you think you had enough, or or would you have packed a little bit more? See, like, I felt like I was a little bit light. Like I said, I would have packed just a little bit more food just because I, I usually would have everything eaten and feel like, man, I could, you know, not that I wasn't surviving and, you know, but, you know, I wouldn't mind carrying extra, you know, one more pound for the whole trip and have a few extra little things. Yeah, next time I'm definitely going to go with the, you know, the full two servings. Um, just feel like that little bit added extra weight would go a long ways. I, you know, I never, I never felt, you know, full um, after eating dinner and I would just go to bed kind of hungry. Um, so I imagine if it was, you know, like on my sheep hunt when it's going to be 10 days, I can imagine just, just, you know, our hunt was only five days, but, you know, double that, having a little bit more, um, food would be, would be better. So that's something I'm going to make note of for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. We both, um, we both used trekking poles. There were a lot of times when we would just keep one trekking pole in the pack um, because the brush was so thick and stuff. One trekking pole was nice to kind of beat brush and kind of give you a footing. Um, I'm not sure if I would just go with one pole and not even take another one next time. Probably in that scenario where we knew we were going to be fighting brush. Certainly above timberline and you know, so in that country, it was nice to have two trekking poles to give you stability. Um, and uh, what about that time when I fell on, when we were trying to get your goat, and I went sizzling past you, and you basically caught me. I felt like I was in the movie Romancing the Stone, flying down. Literally, it was like a grassy bench, and it was real steep, and Dar and Joe were already in front of me, and I... I don't know what I did, you know, cross the ski tip or something, and freaking here I came just sliding, just sliding, and I felt like I was going 90 miles an hour. Of course, I wasn't, but 
and then I felt this hand grab me. I'm like, oh gosh, that was ugly. <laughs> I thought I was gonna go careening off the old cliff there. Um, I, that would have been pretty good video, I think. So let's let's go into. Um, I guess it would be the fourth morning. Uh, you woke up above camp, and there were some billies and, or excuse me, some nannies and kids that the afternoon before uh, that you had seen, and you went up right when you woke up, and I believe you spotted a billy. Walk me through how that went and kind of how that unfolded. And at that point, you know, it kind of got real in the fact that we knew that it was probably with the amount of rain and everything that was going on, like that was probably a window of time there when, you know, we needed, we needed to probably get that Billy shot. Um, walk me through assessing that, you know, it was a shooter and then talk, tell me about the, the plan and the stock and, and um, the shot and how it all unfolded. And so at what point, so you got set up in the gun and then how did it unfold? You know, what was crazy about the whole thing is I was probably only 400 yards from you guys across and there was, you know, the fog and everything, the clouds were blowing up between us and rain and your two shots, I never heard either shot and um i saw goats kind of trotting in and out of the fog I'm like, i couldn't tell what was going on i didn't hear the shots um and then i finally heard joe you know kind of hoop or holler and i thought well you know i don't know what's going on maybe he's trying to stop him but i i didn't realize you had already shot um and then i saw you guys kind of coming to me through the fog and realized that you'd shot and um, you kind of jumping ahead once we got to the goat, um, you had made two perfect shots, bullets literally within a half inch of each other. Um, tell me about the bullet that you were using and um, the performance of those bullets. And, and we, fa we found one of them and, you know, talk about, you know, the offside shoulder and, and where the bullets were and what have you. Two nice shots in pretty tough conditions with the rain and, and the fog and having a small window to shoot through of, of a fog window of just an open and it was a little nerve-wracking because um you know with the other nannies there and and uh kids and what have you and you know with when, it, when it's all happening fast you know when you're only looking at one goat because you've got a small window of fog that you know the open patch um, you kind of had to rely on Joe to say, yes, that's the Billy. And, you know, you shot him kind of in good faith that, you know, that was him. Um, so that that was awesome. Now, once you shot him, we kind of regrouped and we ended up trying to go down and it took us a couple hours um, and we kept getting cliffed out and we couldn't get to the goat. Um, it was so steep, and that's where I did the triple Lindy, you know, and sliding down the mountain like, a, uh, you know, like a like a bobsled. Um, but we had made the decision to go back to camp, pack up our camp, move all the way down off the mountain through the brush, 
and reset up camp and then come up from the bottom uh, to get that goat and that turned out to be more of a chore than what we thought and uh, we we ended up to get dark on us and we had to get up the next morning it took us five hours to get to them um, and in all it was a relief to get up there and no bears had gotten on them and it was a relief that it was cold and we recovered the goat 100% all of the meat the cape um, there was no hair slippage uh, and all the meat was good um, that was a relief wasn't it and um, we were able to divvy up the meat and you took the um, cape and, and the head and, and the horns um, and we were able to pack back to our, our other camp and then um, we stayed that night and then we packed out the next morning because our plane was coming uh, the next day uh, at three o'clock and then we had to fight back through all of that brush where we had taken us five hours to go 0.79 miles and now we're it was great that we were able to disperse the, the meat and such in three packs but it was still a chore getting to the beach and I can remember you know being pretty tickled once we got to the beach um, you know that we had gotten the goat gotten down safely and and um, it was a uh, hearing that plane coming in before we could even see him was uh, was a welcomed uh, it, it, it made my I was excited to hear that plane coming for sure yeah for sure and then it was an it was nice to load the plane and and uh, fly out and it, it's funny we flew out and we um, we we landed in Homer Alaska and the first stop we made was to McDonald's and um, I normally don't eat McDonald's but that was some of the best food that tasted so good a couple cheeseburgers and some french fries was uh, just what the doctor ordered one thing I was so intrigued with Alaska not only the hunting opportunities but in all the airports whether it was Kenai or Anchorage or Seattle um, all the fishermen and to see all those rivers and to see the, the halibut fishing and the, the salmon fishing and um, that's definitely something I'd like to go back and, and do some fishing there and um, even when I got back to Denver there were guys that were on the Alaska air flight from Seattle that I mean they literally were getting those dollies at the airport filling them up with boxes of, of salmon and halibut that they caught and most everybody that we talked to that were fishermen you know had had limited out on on salmon and halibut and um, you know being up there on in those mountains and looking down and seeing those small fishing vessels and and such uh, it, it really intrigues me to go back to Alaska and do all sorts of fishing um, you know I think there's a lot of opportunity obviously the fishing capital of the world almost um, but uh, I'm sure I'll be back. I know you you kind of got the bug to go back and we're asking Joe a lot of questions about the fishing and what have you. But uh, overall, it was just an incredible experience. Um, you know, I don't look forward to fighting that brush again. Um, uh, that was definitely not something that I, you know, want to do again as far as fighting that, you know, that extreme brush. Um, but hopefully, and make it back another time to go and, and maybe pick a little bit better route where we don't have to you know fight as much brush as we did 
And um, but I would say for a first time experience in Alaska um, on a float, you know, float plane hunt, that was it was uh, pretty awesome. Uh, and I, you know, I felt like, you know, I don't know that we could have got to go out of where we were um, safely with all that moisture and rain. I am not in the least disappointed that I didn't get one. Sure, would I've liked to got one, but. The way it all ended up playing out, I was perfectly fine just bringing one goat off the mountain because I felt like, like I told you on that last day, I go, if a Boone and Crockett, if the world record billy goat walks through camp, I am not shooting them. You just kind of laughed. Um, and people will hear that and be like, oh, you weenie. Like, okay, well, I mean, we've done a lot of pretty extravagant adventures and stuff and this one was by far as far as strenuous not from a hiking distance or you know steep terrain it was just the brush factor just just made it just completely wore you out yeah i mean yeah frank was leaving with that other group and they ended up having to wait like three or four days before they could even go to to camp because they couldn't fly through the rain that we were enduring during up on the mountain yeah, you, that's a great point um, to leave yourself plenty of room on the front and the back in case you have to jockey around with the float planes or what have you. And even if we'd have got to the beach and the weather would have been bad, they wouldn't have come and, and gotten us. We, you know, it would have been a scheduling nightmare. So I think that's a great point you bring up there. Well, um, moving forward, you've got an elk hunt coming up in Arizona. I'm excited to. Um, uh, see how you do there. Um, is it just strategy seek and seek and destroy, try and find a giant and get them killed. Is that what you're thinking? Awesome. Well, um, buddy, that was a fun adventure. I look forward to doing a doing a, to the next adventure. And I know you boys have got some coos deer hunts, and um, we've got a lot of stuff planned this fall. So. It's uh, just a good start to the fall, and um, I'm going to do a little fishing here before I head to Wyoming. And, um, yeah, I want to uh, congratulate you on your goat and um, encourage the listeners to check out the Instagram, uh, at jscottoutdoors and at darkholborn. Uh, if you have any questions of me about for, about the podcast or about this episode or Alaska or any gear or anything, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or send me a direct message through Instagram. And you can email uh, dar at darcolburnrealtor at gmail.com or send him a direct message through Instagram. We're happy to answer any questions you might have. I appreciate the listener support and I want to remind you about that Go Hunt free trial uh, to go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. It'll take you to a specific page. Just follow the directions right there. Uh, right on the page, you get to check it out for free. Uh, and it's a 30-day free trial, so you can really dive in and, and you know take a comprehensive look at the Insider Program and encourage you guys to do that and uh, thank you for all of your support and dar until next time god bless you and uh, we'll be uh, anxiously uh, i'll be in wyoming waiting to hear the stories of your elk hunt and um, looking forward to um, i think it's going to be a great season down there for you okay buddy sounds good catch you later